Hi, Rebecca Shear here. Looking for more ways to circle round with us? Join the Circle Round Club and get all sorts of great perks, like a welcome box with Circle Round goodies, monthly newsletters, even ad-free episodes, and bonus bedtime stories. Support our public radio podcast and sign up now at wbur.org slash Club. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. What comes to mind when you think about giving? Maybe you think about doing nice things for others, like helping a neighbor shovel snow. Perhaps you think about sharing, like splitting your snack with a friend. Or it could be you think about giving something away, like donating toys to children in need. Well, giving is all of these things. And today, we'll hear four stories that highlight the many ways we can be generous to others. I'm Rebecca Shear, and welcome to Circle Round, where story time happens all the time. This week, to celebrate the season of giving, we bring you Simple Gifts, a special episode revisiting some of your favorite Circle Round stories about generosity. Our first story is from season one of Circle Round. It's called The Answer You Seek. Versions of this folktale have been told for many years across many countries. Our adaptation comes from Thailand. Some really great people came together to bring you this tale, including two favorites from NPR, Wade Goodwin and Ari Shapiro. So circle around, everyone, for the answer you seek. There once was a boy who lived on a farm. It wasn't a big farm, but the boy and his family had just enough to live comfortably. Behind the cozy farmhouse, there was a small field where they grew vegetables. There was also a ramshackle red barn where they kept an old horse and some chickens. But the boy's favorite thing on the farm was in front of the farmhouse, a banana tree. The tree was planted hundreds of years ago by the boy's great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. <laughs> The boy loved helping his parents with chores on the farm. Every morning, he'd head out back behind the house and check that the crops had water and the animals had food. Then he'd go in front of the house and gaze at the beautiful banana tree. He would pick two of the brightest, yellowest bananas he could find and bring them inside for his parents. Mother, father, breakfast time. Oh, thank you, son. You always bring us the most gorgeous bananas. And after you spent all morning tending to the animals and crops, it's so generous of you. Oh, you know I'm always happy to lend a hand. Come on, let's eat. One morning, after checking on the crops and animals, the boy walked to the front yard to pick bananas. When he got there, he stopped with a jolt. (gasps) The bananas! They're gone! It was true. The banana tree was bare. Someone or something had snuck over in the night and left nothing but branches and leaves. Looking around the yard, the boy spotted a banana peel, then another, and another, and another. He followed the trail of banana peels all the way to a monkey. You've stolen all our bananas. The monkey looked up at the boy, her mouth full of squishy, ripe banana. Well, explain yourself. Why in the world would you take something from me and my family? Couldn't you take from someone else? Someone with a bigger house, a bigger farm? I mean, 
This banana tree, it's one of the few things my family and I have. The monkey swallowed her last bite of banana. Then she began to speak. Young man, you talk about having things. Well, listen here. I have seen your destiny, and it is this. You can only have eight items in your possession. Only eight! No matter how much you beg or how much you gather, eight items is all you'll ever be able to have. The boy tilted his head to one side. Wait, why is it my destiny to only own eight things? I don't know. Maybe you should try and ask the wisest person in the world. And with that, the monkey scampered off. As the boy stared at the trail of banana peels she'd left behind, he thought for a moment. I have to find out what my destiny means. I have to find the wisest person in the world. So the boy kissed his mother and father goodbye and set out on his journey. He walked and walked all day long, asking everyone he met where he could find the wisest person in the world. Eventually, it grew dark. Hmm, I should rest for the night, then continue my journey tomorrow. Here's a nice-looking house. Maybe they'll let me stay for the night. The boy knocked on the door of a grand mansion. Young man, what are you doing out so late? It's so dark and it's getting so cold. The boy shivered and smiled. Good evening, ma'am. This might sound crazy, but I've been traveling all day because I have a question for the wisest person in the world. Do you think you could let me stay the night? First thing in the morning, I'll be on my way. As the woman listened to the boy speak, her eyes lit up. The wisest person in the world, you say. Could I give you a question to ask on my behalf? You see, my husband and I, we have a daughter, and she simply will not speak. She's never said a word to us or to anybody. So if it isn't too much trouble. Could you please ask what we must do to make our beloved daughter talk? The boy answered without hesitating. Of course, I'll ask your question for you. I'm always happy to lend a hand. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, Please come inside and make yourself comfortable in whatever room you like. Our daughter is away at her grandmother's. Otherwise, I would love to introduce you to her. The boy thanked the woman for her hospitality and headed upstairs. After a good night's sleep, he continued on his journey. Before long, he came to a spiky mountain range. Yikes! These mountains must be a zillion feet tall. I'll never be able to cross over them. Suddenly, there was a flash of light, then a puff of smoke. Once the smoke cleared, the boy saw he was standing next to a wizard. You're right, kid. Those mountains are a zillion feet tall. So tell me, why would a young'un like yourself want to cross over in the first place? Well, you see, I'm on a journey. I have a question for the wisest person in the world. Please, do you think you could use your magic to help me cross these mountains? As soon as we get to the other side, I'll be on my way. As the wizard listened to the boy's story, he stroked his long white beard. You're going to the wisest person in the world, eh? To ask a question. 
I wonder, could you maybe ask a question for me? You see, I've been trying to master this final spell in my magic book for a thousand years. Talk about frustrating. It's been so long and I've been practicing so hard, I've barely had a glimpse of my wife or kids. Could you please ask the wisest person in the world what I have to do to finally master this one last spell? Just as before, the boy answered without hesitation. Of course, I'll ask your question for you. I'm always happy to lend a hand. Thank you, my boy. Thank you so much. And now, let's go. The wizard waved his magic wand, and he and the boy floated high in the air before soaring over the snow-capped mountaintops. When they reached the other side, the boy continued on his way. Soon, he found himself on the bank of a wide river. Oh, man, there's no way I can make it across this river. What am I going to do? I have to sit down and think. He plopped down on what looked like a giant rock. Hey, easy there, buddy. I'm a turtle, not an easy chair. The boy leapt up and saw that, indeed, the so-called rock was actually a giant turtle. So tell me, what's got you so hot to trot to cross this river here? There's no way a kid like you can swim that far. I know, but I have to get across. I've been traveling for days because I have a question for the wisest person in the world. You're a good swimmer. Do you think you could take me to the other side? As soon as we get to the shore, I'll be on my way. As the boy explained his situation, the turtle nodded his green and brown head. Well, this is really something. You're headed off to the wisest person in the world, and it just so happens that I... Listen... You may not believe it, but I have been trying to become a dragon for 500 years. I've been trying so hard, I've barely left this spot. Do you think you could ask the wisest person in the world what I have to do to become a dragon? Again, just as before, the boy answered without hesitation. Of course, I'll ask your question for you. I'm always happy to lend a hand. Wow. Thanks, kid. Thanks a lot. Now, let's get you to the other side of this river. The boy hopped on the turtle's back and they glided across the crystal clear water. Once they reached the other shore, the boy walked until he reached a deep, dark forest. He wove his way through the bushes, shrubs, and trees until he came to a clearing. In the middle of the clearing was a bright orange bonfire. Sitting cross-legged next to the crackling flames was an old woman, her gray hair streaming down her back. She greeted the boy with a toothy grin. I've been expecting you, my child. You're here to ask me a question, aren't you? Well, my boy, what is the answer you seek? The boy was so amazed at being in the presence of the wisest person in the world that... For a moment, he couldn't speak. Well, it isn't so much an answer as answers. I I mean, I came here to ask you a question. One question. But now it's more like... The boy counted on his fingers. Four. Four questions. The old woman raised an eyebrow. Well, perhaps no one told you. I can only answer three questions, and three questions only. So, which three questions would you like to ask? The boy thought about the turtle, who'd been trying for 500 years to become a dragon. 
He thought about the wizard, who'd been trying for a thousand years to master his one last spell. And he thought about the girl in the grand mansion, the one who'd been living her entire life unable to speak. Then he thought about himself. The monkey told me it's my destiny to only have eight things. Well, now that I think of it, my family and I don't have much more than that. And you know what? We have everything we need. Compared with everyone else's problems, mine suddenly seemed so small. Well, my son, have you decided which three questions you're going to ask? I, I, I have. So the boy asked the old woman everyone else's questions. The turtle, the wizard, the family with the daughter. When he was done, the old woman reached for her cane and slowly rose to her feet. She shuffled over to the boy and laid a soft, wrinkled hand on his shoulder. All right, let's start with the turtle. The turtle is unwilling to leave his shell. As long as he's unwilling to leave the comfort of that shell, he will never become a dragon. And the wizard, the wizard always carries around that wand of his and never puts it down. Once he looks beyond that wand, then he will find the magic he truly seeks. And, and the girl, the one who cannot speak? What about her? The old woman smiled, her eyes twinkling in the light of the bonfire. The girl? Well, that one's easy. She'll be able to speak once she is introduced to her truest friend ever. The boy took in everything the old woman said. Then he offered his deepest thanks before running back through the woods to the river. Once he got there, he found the giant turtle who was resting on the shore. Hey, turtle, I talked to the wisest person in the world. All you have to do is come out of your shell and you will become a dragon. Quickly, the turtle climbed out of his shell. Inside the shell were priceless pearls from the deepest parts of the ocean. Thank you, kid. Oh, listen, why don't you take these pearls? If I don't need my shell, I definitely don't need these. As he handed the pearls to the boy, the turtle suddenly sprouted a long forked tail and a glittering pair of wings. Well, what do you know? I'm a dragon. I'm a dragon. And he flew away. The boy dropped the pearls in his knapsack and hurried back to the spiky mountain range. When he got there, he saw the wizard waving his wand, trying again and again to perfect the final spell in his book. Hey, wizard, I talked to the wisest person in the world. All you have to do is put down your wand and you'll find the magic you seek. The wizard took a long look at his wand. Then he held the wand out to the boy. Well, I suppose I won't be needing this thing anymore. Here, you take it as a token of my thanks. As soon as the wand was in the boy's hands, there was an explosion of colors like the most spectacular fireworks. Then a woman and three children came running down the mountainside. They threw their arms around the wizard and covered him in kisses. My family, I've been practicing for so long, I've barely seen you. This is the very best magic of all. As the wizard and his family rejoiced, the boy raced back to the grand mansion where the daughter who wouldn't speak lived with her family. The woman and her husband were delighted to see him. Listen, I've talked to the wisest person in the world. And what must we do to get our daughter to speak? 
It's simple. You must introduce her to her truest friend ever. Just then, the boy heard gentle footsteps coming down the stairs. He turned around, and there, in the doorway, he saw a young girl. Her face lit up in a smile. Mother? Father? Is that the boy you were talking about? The one who was here last week? The girl's parents couldn't believe their ears, but they knew the truth. This helpful, generous boy, the one who had crossed mountains and rivers to get answers to questions asked by complete strangers, could there be any truer friend than he? The Answer You Seek was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear. It was edited by Jessica Alpert. Special thanks to our actors, Laura Gardner, Hannah Kenny, Marianne Nichols, Jefferson Russell, Maisie Scarpa, Norm Tebow, and NPR's Wade Goodwin and Ari Shapiro. Wade Goodwin is a national desk correspondent covering Texas and the surrounding states. Ari Shapiro is the co-host of All Things Considered. The next story in today's Simple Gifts special has been a big hit with our listeners, including these two. My name's Eloise. I love the beggars and the baker's daughter. Hi, my name is Hallie. My favorite silk around is the beggar and the baker's daughter. That's right. The Beggar and the Baker's Daughter, from the third season of Circle Round. Versions of this tale originally come from England. Some really great people came together to bring you our adaptation of this folktale, including Margaret Cho. Grown-ups, you might know the Emmy and Grammy-nominated comedian from stand-up specials like I'm the One That I Want, Notorious C-H-O, and Fresh Off the Bloat. She also has her own podcast, The Margaret Cho. So, Circle Round, everyone, for The Beggar and the baker's daughter. There once was a baker who was every bit as sweet as her cakes, tarts, cookies, and pies. The moment you entered her cozy shop in the middle of town, the good-natured baker always greeted you with a smile. Well, hello there. Don't you look well today? She offered you a free sample? Try a slice of this bread I just baked. You will love it. And if you were a few coins short at the cash register... Oh, don't you worry about it, friend. This one's on me. Take your treats home and enjoy. The kind, generous baker rose at the crack of dawn, then worked hard all day long. At night, she returned to the cottage she shared with her daughter, Phoebe... And the two of them could not have been more different. While the baker's heart was warm as an oven, Phoebe's heart was cold as an icebox. The young woman was mean-spirited and cross, not to mention selfish and greedy. Every now and again, the baker would get sick or have to run an errand, and the baker's daughter would take her mother's place at the shop. And, as you can guess... When Phoebe was standing behind the glass counter, she did not greet you with a smile. She did not offer you free food. And if you didn't have enough coins to pay for your treats? What? You're a few coins short, you say? Not my problem. Pay up or get out. Well, years went by. The baker grew wrinkled and gray. 
and when her fingers were too gnarled and stiff to bake any more treats, her daughter Phoebe took over the business. On Phoebe's first day running the bakery, business was brisk. Customers didn't stop streaming into the shop till just before closing time, when the last person finally waltzed out the door, clutching their box of shortbread and scones. Phoebe slumped on the glass counter and laid her head in her hands. Oi! I don't know how Mother worked this hard her entire life. I'm so exhausted. And having to deal with those chatty customers all day. How in the world did Mother have time to... The sound of the front door opening gave Phoebe a start. She turned, and who did she see hobbling into the bakery but a stooped old woman, dressed in a tattered black cloak and leaning on a rickety wooden cane. Um, excuse me. We're about to close. The old woman shuffled to the counter. She held up a weathered hand. I'm so sorry, miss, but before you close, I wonder if you could spare some bread for a poor beggar woman? Now, if the kind, generous baker had still been there, you know what she would have said, right? Yes, of course, have all the bread you like. Well, needless to say, that's not what the baker's daughter said. Um, I'm sorry, could I spare some bread, like, for free? The answer is no. Besides, we're all sold out. Business was crazy today. I sold my last loaf an hour ago. But the old woman wouldn't give up. Well, could you spare a small piece of dough, then? My eyes aren't what they used to be, but I believe I spy some lovely dough rising on those racks over there. The woman pointed a trembling finger toward the back of the shop, where the baker's old baking racks were stacked with trays full of rising yeasty dough. Phoebe rolled her eyes. Um, lady, I need that dough so I can bake tomorrow's bread and sell it to my paying customers. Look, lady, this is a business. Either you pay up or you get out. Phoebe jerked her thumb toward the door. But the old woman wouldn't budge. You know, miss, your mother never would have said something like that to anyone, let alone a poor beggar. What would she say if she saw you now? At the mention of her mother, Phoebe felt the tiniest twinge of remorse in her heart, but just a pinch, like the eensy-weensy pinch of salt her mother used to sprinkle in her pie dough. All right. Listen, lady. I'll give you one little piece of dough, but that's it. Oh, thank you, miss. Thank you. Phoebe grunted, stomped back to the baking racks, tore off a tiny ball of bread dough, and brought it to the woman. The ball of dough was no larger than a plum. I truly appreciate this, miss. But I wonder, could you... Bake this dough in your oven? I have no oven of my own. Phoebe was quiet for a moment. Then she let out a laugh. <laughs> oh, I get it. You're joking with me. <laughs> I mean, if I turn on the oven and bake this puny ball of dough, it'll burn to a crisp. 
<laughs> Very funny, Lady Very funny. <laughs> Phoebe expected the old woman to start laughing too, or at least to crack a smile. But she didn't. Miss, like so many other people in this town, I had the privilege of knowing your mother. She was a fine, fine woman. Who knew the apple could fall so far from the tree? The woman shook her head, then began shambling toward the door. Again, Phoebe felt that tiny pinch in her heart. Wait, don't go. Look, I'll bake your silly dough. Let me go heat up the oven. There was a twinkle in the old woman's eye as Phoebe trudged to the oven in the back of the bakery. Phoebe and the woman waited and waited, and nearly an hour later, the smell of fresh bread began wafting through the air. Ugh, finally. Why in the world did it take so long for that tiny smidge of dough to bake? I'm surprised it's not charred to a crisp by now. Phoebe put on a baking mitt, then knelt down and pulled open the oven door. And when she did... <gasps> oh my! Her jaw dropped. Her eyes widened. And despite the heat pouring out of the oven, a chill ran down her spine. She could hardly believe what she was seeing. Hmm, I don't know what's going on here, but surely that beggar woman doesn't deserve such a big, gorgeous loaf of bread. No, I'll sell this loaf tomorrow and make some good money. I'm not giving it away for free. Just then, from the front of the shop, the old woman called out to Phoebe. Miss, are you all right back there? Is the bread ready? Um... Phoebe's selfish mind raced. Actually, it looks like I opened the door too soon. The bread still needs more time in the oven. I'm going to let it sit a little while longer. Thanks for your patience. Without missing a beat, Phoebe pulled the loaf from the oven and hid it in a cupboard. Then she grabbed another ball of dough from a tray on the baking racks. This ball even itty-bittier than the first about the size of a cherry. There's no way a ball of dough this small will expand like the first one did. Once it's done baking, I'll give it to the old woman and send her on her way. Phoebe and the woman waited another hour. But the minute Phoebe smelled bread baking and squatted down to open the oven door, <gasps> what? Her mouth fell open. For what should she see inside but another golden brown loaf, this one twice as big as the one she had hidden in the cupboard. Okay, this is just plain nuts. The second ball of dough was even smaller than the first one, yet it baked into a loaf of bread twice as big? What gives? Phoebe scratched her head. Hmm, I don't know what's going on here, but I do know this. If this loaf is twice as big, I can sell it for twice as much which means even more money for me. <laughs> Miss, what's happening back there? Are you laughing? Again, Phoebe thought fast. You know, believe it or not, the dough still isn't done baking. I guess it needs even more time. It shouldn't be much longer. 
quick as a wink, Phoebe yanked the loaf from the oven and shoved it into the cupboard with the first loaf. Then she plucked yet another ball of dough from a tray on the baking racks, this one even punier than the first two. Seriously, it was no bigger than a pea. Okay, this ball is so super tiny, it couldn't possibly expand like the others did. I'll bake it, give it to the old woman, then go home. But the moment Phoebe smelled bread baking and pulled open the oven door, can you guess what happened? <gasps> oh, that's right. She saw yet another golden brown loaf. Only this one was even bigger than the first two. It was so big, in fact, it was practically bursting from the oven. This bread is absolutely beautiful. It may have come from a ball of dough no bigger than a pea, but it's going to make me a fortune tomorrow. A fortune. <laughs> As Phoebe laughed to herself, the old woman called out to her again. Miss, I'm no baker, but surely the bread is ready by now. And why do you keep laughing? Phoebe stopped laughing and took a deep breath. She plastered on a smile and sauntered to the front of the shop. Listen, I'm so sorry, lady, but in the end, I baked your bread for far too long. By the time I opened the oven door, the dough was burnt to a crisp, absolutely scorched. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a shop to close. She rubbed her hands together. Something tells me tomorrow is going to be a big day. Cha-ching! <laughs> As Phoebe doubled over in laughter, you'd think the beggar woman would finally give up and hobble off into the night, right? Well, that's not what she did at all. Instead, the woman clutched her rickety wooden cane and took a few shuffling steps in Phoebe's direction. So, my bread was burnt in the oven, eh? And all you have to say about it is hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. The baker's daughter was hooting and howling so hard she didn't answer. Very well. If that's all you have to say about it, miss, then that's all you'll ever say. Ever. The woman lifted her cane in the air and tapped Phoebe gently on the head. All of a sudden, the baker's daughter was gone. In her place was an owl. The feathery bird frantically flapped its wings and began zooming around the bake shop, knocking over cake dishes and bumping into walls. As the owl scrambled about the room, the old woman crept to the front door and swung it wide open. After much zigging and zagging, the flummoxed owl finally found its way out of the bakery and glided into the dark of the night, hoo-hoo-hooing all the while. The Beggar and the Baker's Daughter was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear. It was edited by Catherine Brewer. Special thanks to our actors, Elle Borders, Amy Brentano, and Margaret Cho. Grown-ups, check out Margaret's podcast, The Margaret Cho, where she interviews people you know and people she thinks you should know if you don't already. Find it wherever you listen to Circle Round. Coming up, 
will meet a man who has everything, but refuses to give anything until some magic intervenes. That and more after a quick break. Support for Circle Round comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Circle Round. That's Indeed.com slash Circle Round. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've been looking for even more ways to circle round with super fans like you. And now we've got another one. The Circle Round Club. When you join the Circle Round Club, not only do you support the public radio station that makes Circle Round possible, but you can get all sorts of perks, including a welcome box with Circle Round goodies, weekly activity emails, monthly newsletters from me, Rebecca Shear, and early access to Circle Round events. You can also get bonus bedtime stories, behind-the-scenes videos, and ad-free episodes. Sign up now at wbur.org slash Club. I'm Rebecca Shear. Welcome back to Simple Gifts, Circle Round's Season of Giving special. Many of you have sent us rave reviews about our next story. Here are some examples. Hello, my name is Alexa. My favorite Circle Round story is the three-legged pot. Hi, my name is Owen. My favorite Circle Round is the three-legged pot. My name is Tessa, and I like the three-legged pot. My name is Samaritan. And my favorite story is the three-legged pot. The three-legged pot comes from the second season of Circle Round. Versions of this folktale have been told in Denmark, a country in northern Europe. You'll also hear variations from the Middle East. Some really great people came together to bring you our telling of this tale, including actress and comedian Aparna Nancherla. Grown-ups, you may recognize Aparna from The Stand-Ups and BoJack Horseman on Netflix, as well as Corporate on Comedy Central. So, Circle Round, everyone for the three-legged pot. Long ago, on opposite ends of a small town, there lived two brothers. On one side of town was Casper. Casper and his wife, Clara, were struggling to get by. They had a tiny cottage, an even tinier yard, and one cow named Clover. But by now, the sweet, hungry creature was so scrawny and weak, she could hardly let out a moo. On the other side of town lived Casper's older brother, Felix. Unlike Casper, Felix had everything he wanted, and then some. He owned a massive mansion, acres of farmland, and hired countless servants. In fact, rumor had it that Felix was so rich, so extravagant, If any of his silver coins were tarnished, he tossed them into the trash can. And yet, no matter how many times Casper politely asked his older brother for help, Felix never shared anything, not even a tarnished silver coin. It was autumn, 
and Casper and Clara were concerned about the long winter ahead. Their creaky cottage was drafty, and they didn't have much in terms of food or warm clothing. Eventually, Clara made a decision. We have no choice, Casper. We have to sell Clover. But my love, we've had Clover forever. She's like family. I know, darling. But your older brother Felix, he's family too. And look how he treats us. I'm sorry, but you and I won't make it through the winter if we don't get money fast. So the next morning, Casper looped Clover's halter over her bony head and led the cow to market. On the way, he encountered a man with a white beard, a red cap, and a gray woolen coat. The man was carrying a burlap sack. Good morning, sir. Where are you off to with that big, beautiful cow? Casper knew that skinny, scraggy Clover was far from big, but he did think his beloved cow was beautiful and was pleased that this bearded stranger agreed. I'm taking her to market. Thanks for asking. Though, it's tough to see her go. I can tell she means a lot to you. Tell me, how much money are you asking for? What did you say her name was? Clover? Casper was mystified. I I didn't say what her name was. But yes, it's Clover. And as for how much money I'm asking, I don't know. It's hard to put a price on something so very precious and... I tell you what. The man held up the burlap sack. What if, in exchange for your cow, I give you something even more valuable than money? What if I give you this? The stranger reached into the sack and removed a black iron pot. It looked old and dingy, but it had an elegant curved handle and three short, sturdy legs. I'm sorry? You want me to trade my cow for a pot? My wife and I are so poor, we wouldn't have anything to cook in it. What I need is money. You keep your pot. Casper turned to lead Clover away when... Oh, come on! Come on! Just take me! Take me! Casper spun around. Um, who said that? Take what? Take who? Take me, silly! Take me! Casper gawked at the pot. You... you speak? Yep, I speak. I speak! Casper blinked at the man in the red cap and gray coat. He expected the fellow to be every bit as bewildered as he was. Instead, the stranger just stood there, stroking his long white beard. Listen, Casper. Um, how did you know my... Casper, I told you I could give you something even more valuable than money. And trust me, this three-legged pot is it. He's right, you know. He's right. I'm way more valuable, Casper. Way more valuable. Casper shook his head. A talking pot. He'd never dreamt of such a thing. But then it occurred to him. If this three-legged pot could speak, imagine what else it might do. All right then, sir. You take the cow, I'll take the pot. They shook on it. Then the bearded stranger led Clover away. Goodbye, old friend. Wish it didn't have to be this way. But, boy, a talking pot. Clara will be blown away. Casper lifted the pot by its handle and carried it back to the cottage. 
Clara was waiting outside with a confused look on her face. Clara, I have such wonderful news. I went to sell clover, just like you asked, but then this little guy came up with this long white beard and he offered me this pot and... You traded clover for a pot? Um, for your information, Clara, I'm not just any pot. Nuh-uh. Not just any pot! (gasps) You speak? You bet I speak. I speak! But hey, that's not all I can do. And when you folks see me in action, it will change your life. Change your life! Listen, folks. Listen. As you can see, I'm kind of dingy. Really dingy. If you'd please, would you mind washing me, cleaning me, and putting me on the fire? Then, you'll see what else I can do. Casper and Clara did as they were told. They scrubbed the pot's insides till they gleamed, polished its outsides till they sparkled, and hung its handle over the crackling fireplace. Thank you. Thank you. And now... Suddenly, the pot leaped to the ground. You'll see what else I can do. Skip and skip. Indeed, before Casper and Clara knew what was happening, the pot had skipped and skipped to the door and clickety-clacked out on its three short legs. The pot skipped all the way to the other side of town, to the grand estate of Casper's older brother, Felix. The pot zipped into the red barn, where two of Felix's farmhands were busy threshing wheat. They'd spent the morning separating the grains, the part you can eat, from the stalks, then storing the grain in big bags. Uh Uh-oh, we're all out of bags. And we've got bushels more wheat to thresh. Hundreds of bushels more like. Sheesh, why does Felix need all this grain anyway? Beats me. I mean, can the guy really eat that much bread? I'll bet he ends up throwing most of this stuff away. Yeah, what a waste. The farmhands didn't notice the three-legged pot standing beside them. Until... Hey! Where'd that pot come from? I don't know, but I'll bet it could fit a whole lot of grain. Let's try it. The farmhands poured bushel after bushel of wheat into the pot. Once it was filled to the brim, its three short legs began to twitch. Time to skip and skip. The farmhands watched with astonishment and amusement as the pot clickety-clacked to the door and dashed back to the other side of town. When the pot returned to Casper and Clara's cottage, they couldn't believe their eyes. Wow, with so much grain, we'll be baking bread all winter. And all spring, summer, and fall, too. Thank you, Pot. Thank you. You're welcome. So welcome. But listen, folks, listen. All that skipping made me grimy again grossly grimy. So if you'd please, would you mind washing me, cleaning me, and putting me on the fire? Again, Casper and Clara did as they were told. They scrubbed, polished, and hung the pot in the fireplace. Thank you. Thank you. Just as before, the pot sprang to the ground. Time to skip and skip. Whee! And clickety-clacked out the door. 
For the second time that day, the pot hopped over to Felix's estate. This time, it shimmied through a window in the luxurious mansion. It scuttled to the tailor's room, where Felix's garment makers were unwrapping a new shipment of fancy fabric. Oh my! Did you see this cashmere? Felix must have ordered a thousand yards. Well, I'm pretty sure he ordered a million yards of this silk. And this velvet. There's absolutely no way we can make clothing out of all this fabric. Let alone find space to store it. Our shelves are bursting. I'll bet he winds up throwing most of this stuff away. Indeed. What a waste. The tailors didn't notice the three-legged pot standing beside them. Until... Say, where'd that pot come from? Not a clue. But it's a perfect place to store all this fabric. Let's do it. The tailor stuffed yard after yard of cashmere, silk, and velvet into the pot. And when it was filled to the brim, can you guess what happened? That's right. Its legs began to twitch. Time to skip and skip. The tailors watched with surprise and satisfaction as the pot clickety-clacked out the door and scampered back to the other side of town. When the pot returned to Casper and Clara's cottage, they could hardly contain themselves. Oh, pot, is that cashmere and silk and velvet? Our old clothing is so threadbare and torn. Now we can make new clothes for the winter. Thank you, pot. Thank you. You're welcome. So welcome. But listen, folks, listen. All that skipping made me grubby again. Way too grubby. So if you'd please, would you mind washing me, cleaning me, and putting me on the fire? Once more, Casper and Clara scrubbed, polished, and hung the pot over the fire. Thank you. Thank you. Again, the pot jumped to the ground. Time to skip and skip. Whee! And yes, clickety-clacked right out the door. By now, it was evening. And can you guess where the pot skipped this time? That's right, back to Felix's estate. Only now, it slipped into the counting house, the sturdy brick building where Felix hoarded his gobs and gobs of money. Now, do you remember that rumor we mentioned at the beginning of the story? The one about Felix being so extravagant that he threw out any silver coins that were tarnished? Well, as the pot crept inside the counting house... Oh. Felix was sitting at his table. Disgusting. Hurling coin after tarnished coin. Abominable. Into a trash can. Ugh, this is pathetic. Why do these blasted silver coins tarnish so quickly? I've tossed away so many of the beastly things, my wastebasket is overflowing. Felix didn't notice the three-legged pot standing by the door. Until... Huh. How'd that dingy pot get here? Never mind. The grimy and grubby thing is the perfect vessel for these detestable coins. Once the pot was filled to the brim, you know what happened, right? Time to skip and skip. Whee! But before it could skip a step... Not so fast. Felix grabbed the pot's curved handle. Listen, you bewitched creature. You can skip and skip all the way to the North Pole if you want. 
Just give me those coins. Felix jumped into the air, flung himself onto the three-legged pot, and stuck there. Cheerfully, the pot began clickety-clacking forward, with Felix glued to its side. So, Felix! The North Pole, eh? Wait, what? How how did you... What did you... You did say I can skip and skip all the way to the North Pole, right? Right? Well, you know what, Felix? You know what? What? I can! I can! Next thing Felix knew, the pot switched direction and raced northward. And it didn't stop until it reached, you guessed it, the North Pole, the northernmost point on Earth. The pot gave a little shake, then dropped a very stunned and exhausted Felix into the snow. Then the pot clickety-clacked back to Casper and Clara's cottage. It tumbled across the floor, spilling tarnished but perfectly usable silver coins everywhere. Thank you, Pot. Thank Thank you. Casper and Clara never saw the pot again. When they woke up the next morning, it was gone. But now they had all they needed for the winter, and then some. In fact, for the first time in their lives, they could help out other people who were struggling to get by, just like a certain cheerful, rambunctious, three-legged pot did for them. The Three-Legged Pot was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear. It was edited by Jessica Alpert. Special thanks to our actors, Al Borders, Adam Mastriani, Maurice Emanuel Parent, Jeffrey Song, and Aparna Nancherla. Grown-ups, you can check out Aparna's comedy on season two of The Stand-Ups on Netflix and watch for her on Corporate on Comedy Central. Our fourth and final story in today's Simple Gifts special is a tale about small gestures of kindness that lead to some very big results. Any guesses what it might be? Here are some hints. My name is Samaron. My favorite episode is Nilsa and the Troll. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and my favorite Sokoyan story is Nilsa and the Troll. My name is Elliot. My favorite story is Nilsa and the Troll. Hello, I'm Molly. My favorite thing around is Nilsa and the Troll. Like the three-legged pot, Nilsa and the Troll is inspired by tales told in Denmark. Some really great people came together to bring you our adaptation of this folktale, including Reagan Reverd. Reagan stars as Missy Cooper on the hit CBS comedy Young Sheldon. So circle around, everyone, for Nilsa and the Troll. Everyone in town knew that the kindest, most generous person around was a young girl named Nilsa. Having a rough day? Guess who'd come knocking at your door with a tray of cookies? Ta-da! Fresh-baked oatmeal raisin. They're your favorite, right? Lost your cat or dog? Guess who'd be first in line to help you search? Don't you worry. We'll find Fluffy, even if it takes all night. Nilsa would give you the shirt off her back if you asked. Though the truth is, she didn't own many shirts. In fact, she didn't own very much at all. 
You see, Nilsa lived with her parents, her grandparents, and her four younger brothers and sisters, all of them crammed into a snug, thatched-roof cottage at the edge of town. The grown-ups in the teeny-tiny house worked hard to support their family. And as the oldest child, Nilsa did what she could to chip in. Early one morning, Nilsa crept out of the lumpy bed she shared with her four siblings. She grabbed a basket, packed a modest lunch of bread and honey, and tiptoed out the door. Oh, won't my family be surprised when I come home with wild strawberries from the forest? Maybe Grandpa will bake one of his famous strawberry pies. On her way to the forest where the berries grew, Nilsa strolled past a river. As she listened to the burbling, gurgling sounds of the flowing water, she suddenly heard... Help me! A voice. Please, somebody put me back. Nilsa stopped in her tracks. Flopping around on the riverbank was a gasping, glistening silver trout. Oh my goodness! How did you get out of the water? Nilsa ran over to the fish and scooped it up. Let's get you back in that river where you belong. Nilsa placed the trout back in the water. It fluttered its fins and swam in a happy circle. I feel so much better. Thank you, young lady. I'll be sure to return the favor. Oh, no favors necessary. Your thanks is enough for me. Nilsa beamed at the trout as it swam off, leaving a trail of bubbles behind it. Then Nilsa continued on her way. She reached a sun-drenched field and was admiring the rainbow of wildflowers swaying in the breeze when she suddenly heard, Wait! Stop! Another voice. Please, don't take another step. Nilsa came to a halt and looked down. On the ground beneath her was a tiny black ant. It was building an anthill, grain by grain, and Nilsa was this close to stepping on it and smashing the whole thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you down there. Nilsa backed away from the anthill. Then she reached into her basket and pulled out the honey she had packed for lunch. After all that work, you must be hungry. Have some of this. Nilsa dribbled some honey onto the ground. The ant scuttled over and devoured every last drop. Yum, yum, yummy! Thank you, young lady. I'll be sure to return the favor. Oh, no favors necessary. Your thanks is enough for me. Nilsa grinned at the ant as it went back to its building. Then she continued on her way. Finally, Nilsa reached the edge of the forest where the wild strawberries grew. Bordering the forest was a row of pine trees. Just before Nilsa entered the cool shade of the woods, she suddenly heard, Spare a morsel of food? Another voice. Just one little morsel of food. Nilsa cast her eyes upward. Perched on a pine branch was a scraggly black crow. Its feathers were dull and matted, and its body was thin as a rail. Oh, you poor thing! Nilsa reached into her lunch basket and pulled out a hunk of bread. Take this. You look like you haven't eaten in weeks. The crow fluttered down and perched on Nilsa's arm. Then it used its sharp black beak to gobble down every last breadcrumb. Mmm! Oh, thank you, young lady. I'll be sure to return the favor. Oh, no favors necessary. Your thanks is enough for me. Nilsa smiled at the crow as it spread its wings and flew off. At last, Nilsa stepped into the shadowy forest. She was walking along, scanning the ground for wild strawberries, 
when she suddenly heard... You there! Yet another voice. Only this voice made her blood run cold. Who are you? And what are you doing in my forest? Nilsa whirled around. Stomping toward her on big, hairy legs was a troll. A giant troll with bright, beady eyes and a bulging nose shaped like a pickle. Nilsa began to tremble. Everyone knew that trolls would eat anything or anyone who crossed their path. And Nilsa hadn't just crossed the troll's path. Apparently, she'd crossed his forest. Um, hello there, sir. My name is Nilsa. And if you please, I was just about to pick strawberries for my family. This forest has the most beautiful wild strawberries, and I... This forest? The troll clenched his big, hairy fists. This forest? You mean my forest? I own this place, and as far as I'm concerned, you are an intruder. An intruder who'd make an awfully tasty breakfast. My family and I just rolled out of bed, and we are famished. I'm sorry. I meant no harm. I didn't know this forest belonged to you. Nilsa clasped her hands together. Please, I have a wonderful family back home. My parents, my grandparents, my four little brothers and sisters. And if you eat me, they'll be devastated. But if you're generous enough to let me go, they'll be grateful. So grateful. As will I. The brash, brutish troll didn't know much about being generous or grateful. After all, he spent his days fiercely and selfishly guarding the forest, refusing to let anyone else enjoy it. But as he stroked his bristly chin and peered down at Nilsa, he decided he would offer her a deal. Listen, I tell you what. I will give you three tasks. If you succeed in carrying out all three, you can go home to your wonderful family. But if you don't succeed, you'll go home to my family. (laughs) For breakfast. (laughs) What do you say? Well, what else could Nilsa say except... Thank you. What's the first task? (laughs) The troll laughed, revealing a set of crooked yellow teeth. He extended his arm and pointed his hairy finger toward a tall, tall tree. You see that oak tree there? (laughs) At the very top is a golden acorn. Your first task is to get me that golden acorn without... Climbing the tree. Nilsa felt her pulse quicken as she eyed the oak tree. It stretched so high she couldn't even see the top. And she had to bring down the golden acorn without climbing the trunk. Just as Nilsa was certain her heart would burst out of her ribcage, she heard the flapping of wings. She glanced up, and who should be whizzing her way but the hungry crow, the one who had gratefully shared Nilsa's bread. Nilsa, looks like it's time I return that favor. Watch this. The crow skimmed through the air and soared all the way to the top of the oak tree. 
When the bird swooped back down, it dropped a glittering golden acorn onto Nilsa's outstretched palm. Wow! Thank you so much! Anytime! As the crow flew away, the troll swiped the acorn from Nilsa's hand. All right. So you succeeded in carrying out my first task. But the second one is a doozy. (laughs) The troll reached behind a bush and pulled out a lumpy burlap sack. He turned the sack upside down and dumped its contents all over the ground. This here is grain. All kinds of grain. Your task is to separate the wheat from the barley from the oats from the rye without touching a single kernel. (laughs) Nilsa felt her mouth go dry. There must have been a million pieces of grain scattered on the forest floor, and she had to sort every single kernel without laying a finger on any of them? Just then, Nilsa thought she saw a skinny black snake slithering toward her. But as she looked more carefully, she realized it was actually a string of ants marching in a long line. And guess who was leading them? That's right, the black ant who had gratefully shared Nilsa's honey. Hey, Nilsa, I'm pretty sure it's time I returned that favor. Let's go, folks. The ants swarmed all over the pile of grains and hoisted the kernels onto their backs. Then the tiny creatures shuttled the grains this way and that until they had built four neat hills of wheat, barley, oats, and rye. My goodness, thank you so much. No problem. As the ants crawled away, the troll gnashed his crooked yellow teeth. Fine, you managed to succeed with my second task. But wait till you see the third. (laughs) The troll motioned for Nilsa to follow him. She tried to keep up as the troll bounded out of the forest and over to the river. Years ago, I lost one of my most prized possessions in this river. A diamond ring. Your third task is to retrieve that ring from the river without getting wet. Nilsa felt her palms grow clammy. The river was wide and deep, and she had to retrieve the troll's diamond ring from the water while staying perfectly dry. All at once, Nilsa heard a splashing sound. Casting her eyes upstream, she saw a trail of bubbles rippling toward her. Then, whose scaly silver head should come popping to the surface but the trout's? The same one who had been gasping on the bank until Nilsa came along and put him back in the river. Hey, Nilsa, what do you say I return that favor? Check this out! The trout plunged deep into the water. Moments later, it wiggled to the surface, swam toward the bank, and spit out a ring the size of a tambourine. Would you look at that? Thank you so much. Any time. As the trout glided away, Nilsa picked up the ring and handed it to the troll. The colossal creature gazed at the sparkling diamond, then slipped the glittering band onto his gargantuan finger. You know, I never thought I'd lay eyes on this ring again. It was so dear to me. And it's been lost for so very long. 
Nilsa? Come with me. Nilsa held her breath as the troll led her deep into the forest. Where was he taking her now? At last, they reached a bright, sunny clearing, and Nilsa's eyes grew wide. Stretching out as far as she could see was a bright red blanket of plump, ripe, wild strawberries. Go ahead, Nilsa. Pick all the strawberries you'd like. Then take them home to your family. Nilsa was amazed. After spending so long fiercely and selfishly guarding the forest, the troll was finally showing some kindness. Thank you, sir. Thank you. For the first time ever, the troll's big, bristly face broke into a big, bright smile. You're very welcome, Nilsa. And thank you. Nilsa and the Troll was adapted by me, Rebecca Shear. It was edited by Virginia Marshall. Special thanks to our actors, James Konachek, Maisie Scarpa, Chris Tucci, Anne Underland, and Reagan Reverd. Check out Reagan in the hit CBS comedy Young Sheldon, co-starring Ian Armitage, who played the lead role in The Most Powerful of All, our story from season two. You can find that episode and dozens more by subscribing to Circle Round on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. And as always, you can visit our website, wbur.org slash circle round. Now that you've heard all these Circle Round tales about giving, it's your turn. Over the next week, what's one way you can give? Maybe you can give your time and help a grown-up with a chore. Or you can give a gift and draw a picture for your best friend. Whoever you're giving to, they are sure to be grateful. And you're sure to feel great. Our Simple Gifts special was compiled and edited by Amory Sievertson. Circle Round's original music and sound design is by Eric Shimalonis. Our artist is Sabina Hahn. Not only has Sabina created coloring pages for every Circle Round story, which you can find on our website, wbor.org slash circle round, but she's designed the official Circle Round t-shirt featuring our mascot, the Circle Round Lion. Grown-ups, you can order your kid-sized t-shirt today by becoming a sustaining supporter of our home station, WBUR. Visit our website, wbur.org slash circle round, and click on coloring books and t-shirts. Circle Round is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. I'm Rebecca Shear. Thanks for circling around with us. <laughs>